I had a couple groups of younger friends, like you know, like I had all these groups of friends, you know? yeah. And some of them were like a little bit younger, like three or four years younger than me, and they would have problems, you know, on the street. And I was like an East Sider, like I didn't let people mess with my friends. Like I would go deal with business. I remember like more than once where I'd like call me, be like, "Andy, this dude's, you know, stole my money." Da da da. And I'd go over there and like shake somebody down, which is like now it really sounds ridiculous, Chad, but. I fucking swear to you, like, I remember beating this kid and taking all... His mother of this kid that I'm beating up is telling me to beat him up because he shouldn't be stealing from these kids on the block. So, Andy, I was thinking earlier today, I was like, when did we first meet? I know it was like in grade school, but it feels like we were just always there. Yeah, yeah. Instead of like some of my other friends, like Tim and stuff, I can kind of remember the class or almost the moment. Um, I know Mike was on, God, like episode five or something like that. And like we remember the first conversation we had, but like with you and I, we were just always there. Yeah, we were pretty young, I think. Uh, Probably first grade we were. Well, in I came th- over from a different school in fourth grade. You went to Kennedy, correct? Oh, okay. Yeah, so like fourth grade I came from uh, Whitehorse, which would have been a little bit, or uh, Shank, which would have been a little bit oh. further downtown from where oh, okay. our school was. And uh, yeah, I just I got a whole new group of friends. I still have friends from when I was back and, you know, kindergarten through third grade which is kind of strange like but then i have a whole new group of friends that i still have from fourth grade on which is i mean i didn't move that far we only moved probably four miles but it changed where did where did you live before you lived on mary turn so i grew up on lansing street which was right down on milwaukee street oh okay okay so yeah you you didn't move very far yeah but it changed my school zone and then it just Allowed me to, you know, my parents kind of moved up, I think, or whatever, <laughs> you know, like keeping up with the Joneses. And we moved to a nicer house, and, you know, the kids got to go to a little bit better school, and it was good for us. So, you know, my parents always did a real good job at making sure that we were uh, taken care of, and they're always trying to step their game up. So it, you know, look, it made us look at life like it's always a progression, you know? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So. Do you remember who your fourth grade teacher was? <laughs> it's uh yeah i had probably the the strangest fourth grade teacher in kennedy and her name was mrs Lowe, and you might remember her. okay she i remember who she was american lady and she was very tall she was like six feet tall and she used to eat in class which is very strange but like we would she'd be like okay it's time to read you know and we like, oh, okay and then she'd start eating an apple while we were reading and everybody'd be like it should be loud it should be smacking the apple <laughs> trying to read you know it's very strange but i remember her yeah yeah okay yeah so we were probably right down from the the hall from each other for fourth grade uh miss taurus yeah yeah and then uh fifth grade was leesendahl i had finnamore okay so we weren't even in the same grade school classes but i'm sure that we knew each other from the playground at that point at that point so yeah the lunchroom which is funny we even bring this up right away but i brought 
96, 95, 96 Whitehorse Middle School See, yearbook. With I don't us. think I have that one. I have 94, oh, 95. Have a bunch of them, yeah. Yeah, but I have a bunch of Kennedy ones. Yeah, so this is our <laughs> high school one, and we happen to be on the same page. But, dude, if you just, I'm sure you look back at these because you have it right there, but. Um, I'll, I'll no, I don't. Some. I didn't find that one. No, but you, you got one that I don't have. Your, I didn't know if you like, <laughs> looked back at these at all, but there you are. Oh, yeah. Eighth grader. Those Handsome were, that, devil. Those were formative years, bro. <laughs> we really made some strides when we were like eighth? late, you know. Oh yeah, because when you're when you're in eighth grade, you are the top cheese of middle school, and uh, yeah, those are and like you develop those bonds that you because you take them to, into high school, right? You have about, to have them, right? You're about to switch schools, and you know you're about to meet all these new people, but you're like, these are my people, you know what I mean? No, like, you need to fall back, like. These are my people. Well, I was concerned that I was just going to get, like, murked by seniors. Yeah, yeah. There was this threat that, like, as a freshman coming into high school, like, there was going to be older kids that were just going to fuck you up. We did have some hazing <laughs> issues, which is strange to be, like, thinking, talking about now, but we definitely were hazed as freshmen, which is strange to be in high school. And- well, it was always worse before. Like, I was talking to this about... This with my other buddy is like how the generation before always has it in every possible way harder than you do now. And and you and every older generation looks down upon the younger generation for that. But I mean, that's how it's supposed to be. Like, you're supposed to work hard so your kids have it easier. You know, I just you know (laughs) this new generation's got a very strange world to deal with. And I think that a lot of the problems have left like with technology being so upfront and apparently like. Kids don't have to, you know, go learn about, you know, the weight of dirt anymore because they can just look it up. Like, they don't have to feel things to know, you know. We learn by feel most of the time. Like, go build a fort. Learn how the sticks, you know, Mm -hmm. get put together. Learn how a nail feels to go on different substrates. Like, kids now are like, what type of nail do I use to, you know, okay, Google, what type of nail do I use to hammer in cedar? And it'll tell you, you need a, you know, (laughs) heavy duty strength nail. That's like, you know, it'll tell you exactly what you need. So we just didn't, we did that by trial still in the eighties and it's just gone now. Wow. That's no, that's a little bit deeper than I've thought about. Like kids are handicapped. It's either handicapped or, uh, it's an advantage. I I don't know. It can be an advantage though. Cause like you can, it makes you a lot more independent and able to do things that you would be doubtful. Like I fix a lot of crap on my vehicles that I would have been hesitant to do in the past. Yeah. And the biggest thing is like you watch three, four YouTube videos and not just the instruction on like how to, you know, change this, you know, sensor on your car or whatever, but look at the idiots telling you how to do it. And you're like, oh, the retention of that. Yeah. But if that moron can do it, like, yeah, I can get this done. No problem. Right. Yeah. So like (laughs) it was a funny medium because it's full of a lot of people who don't know what they're doing, but they just happen to find like this little niche of something that they did learn. Right. You know? Well, yeah. That progresses. them like a YouTube guy that works on a Buick that tells you how to uh, my key got stuck in the ignition the other day you know yeah there's this thing underneath right. I, ah, yeah, that, I had a know? problem like, on the hhr so I, so I go on youtube it's raining out it's pouring you know and i'm like i go on youtube and i try to figure out and it's this guy and he's just like this you know 
Yep, it's just thing. a dumb guy. You know, you just pop this thing off and you push the button and it pops out. And I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, and this guy's got a million and a half hits on this one YouTube. And I'm like, this guy's getting fucking paid for this. Like, that's insanity. That's what the world is now. It's like, find your niche, man. Exploit the fuck out of it. If you do it, you might get rich. Like, you know, you just got to find the really, really niche. Like, anything that you do right now has to be niche. Ah, man, and I love I love it, though. I do I, love it, too, because it puts so many avenues for thought out, and that's what I'm all about, like, just being able to free think and, you know, like... Well, it creates new niches constantly. Like, it creates so much, and, and right now, this summer, has been, like, an explosion of creativity. I was at yeah, the, the Guitar sure. Center on Friday, and asked the guy like it was busy and i was like how has it been this summer he was like man it has been insane he was like it's good but it's been insane people are like like we were held in for a little bit and that creativity comes out in like a Mm -hmm. wave right that shit's like a tsunami i sold my dad's like blind hem machine which is this enormous like industrial sewing thing and i had it on listed like so long ago that the pictures in the pictures there's no flooring in my house okay (laughs) and uh anyway coolest lady comes to buy it to start her business and uh like this yeah she was yes like an older lady with her husband but like kind of eccentric wanted to name the machine after my dad she called she's like oh i'm gonna name it gully wow yeah and uh but like want was just ready to create you know, um, yeah, I started playing guitar again and like, it's coming fast. Yeah. So my outlets for creativity are more centered around, uh, talking and being like a people person. You know, I like to talk to my friends and I do this without the podcast. You know what I mean? I really feel like you've known me for a long time. I'm, yeah. I'm a, like a, extremely friendly person that has a lot of acquaintances and also you know i really equate my family tightly like i talk to those people every day probably do too but we have like deep kind of philosophical conversation my parents are like super liberal hippie people from madison that are like not from madison but they lived here since they were 18 yeah my dad lived here all of his life but you know it's a it's a very strange place we come from. People talk about Madison and they say, you know, like what a great city, you know, this, you know, college town with all these educated people and, you know, very good place to live. And I agree a hundred percent and I grew up here and it yeah. made me a very well-rounded person. Like I'm sick I'm, ass street skating, dude, for real. <laughs> like, man, we, there is like, you want to go some spots? I know some spots in this city. I, I deliver for Amazon, dude. And I don't even skate, man, but it's been a part of this culture for... You see the world like that? Well, I just Little see bit. a lot of rails. And I see a lot of caps, <laughs> you know what I mean? And I played a lot of, you know... You know, I did... I sprained my ankle when I first tried to step on a skateboard, but we did rollerblading with John Lossie. And yeah, you, me and John you, Lossie, and like, we did it pretty aggressively. We tried to, like make that into something like skateboarding you it know? did become that it did but we i just wasn't ever i was kind of a fat shit so i just didn't ever really get the hang of it but i no i remember you on rollerblades we, now we you're a fast. lot better we did than, have a lot of fun man you're and better than i've ever been on rollerblades we did have a lot of fun and we we like to customize our rollerblades and we did it for a little while but then I remember that. Yeah. dude it was a weird phase because 
it wasn't like we were skateboarders, you know? Skateboards had, like, a grunge to it, you know? Like, but we were, like, dyeing our hair. It was strange, dude. Those were weird times. We're the early Jenko jeans? Dude, yeah, Jenko jeans. It was just, I don't think they'll ever be able to recreate the cheesiness and the randomness that we created in the 90s, you know? Like, you look at pictures, like, wearing brim caps, you know? Like, with our hair out. It was just, like, it's the most strange, random... Wallet chains made out of, like, swing set material. Very strange like fashion Like, super times. long wallet chain that you got off the swing set. Just down to your... Like, it does, it's one of those, like, weird... You know, like, the double link, like, swing set chains? Like, it's not cool. <laughs> not And it's not, like, supposed to be that. Yeah. Yeah, we had... Those are strange times. And I'm sure... Because it's cyclical. Fashion is cyclical. It always will come back. I'm sure that'll, that'll be cool again. People will be wearing Jinko jeans. Yeah. yeah. They'll probably be worth a lot of money, which is strange to hear that. But I bet. I bet if you had a bunch of like mint Jinko jeans right now. Just keep them for like five more years and put them on eBay. Dude, right now, <laughs> like I'm a, I'm kind of a businessman per se. Like I like to diversify how I make money, right? Yeah. So I really like selling shoes which has like been my kind of passion and my hobby for like probably nice. 15 years now i've bought and sold so many jordans and air maxes and like it's i used to go to shows and different trade shows for shoes and buy shoes and sell shoes and like i would literally sell ten thousand dollars in a day and buy another five thousand over the next you know wow. three weeks and then go sell you know sell them all at another show and like now it's super popular everybody wants to buy jordans and everybody i did it a little while ago like 10 years 12 years when it wasn't quite as popular but that's like what you're after you know i didn't fully fledge myself into it or i'd be a millionaire yeah because you could have yeah you have to focus to be the best at that niche right but i I saw it and i was like this is where buy these up if i was just kept buying and keeping and sell now i'd be literally i'd have shoes that were thousands Mm -hmm. of dollars and because time increases all that value. I don't know, though, because I do have a bunch of collectible crap that I honestly photographed yesterday, and I looked up some of it. Like, I got Michael Jackson doll still in the box. It's yeah. worth, like, $7, dude. Like, yeah, you know what I'm saying? Tom Brady's rookie card, which is not that hard of a thing to think about us having. We were... Tom sure. Brady was not that good. He came after Drew Bledsoe's sports talk, but... No, he wasn't like super good, you know, like if you had a Tom Brady rookie card, it was like, ah, whatever, put it in the back, you know, like wasn't anything big. And now it's probably a hundred grand, maybe really, yeah, maybe 500 grand. Like it's almost like, I think he's been around for like 15 years and after 15 years, those cards become more rare and more rare and people weren't collecting cards, dude, there's so much money in cards right now. Yeah, they have switched it over to, they've got NFTs going with tops. Patrick Mahomes' rookie card. He's not even that old. It's like seven years old. You get like 20, like, I don't know the exact number. I want to yeah. say 20 grand for some of the more rare rookie cards he has. Oh, wow. Which blows my mind because he's not that old. It's like just 10 years ago, you know, like maybe even seven, six years ago. Like, yeah, it's a lot of money, man. But he's got like some rookie cards that are like one out of 10 or one out of 25 that are like gold leaf and you know, super limited edition. So there are a super limited amount of them, but the value in them is really ridiculous. Right? Yeah, that's right. Your dad had like an amazing Packer collection, dude. He it was, was a collector. Ins- dude. It was, a, was really a like, let me describe what I remember in like the sitting room yeah. was a, a clear 
cube that was like four feet by four feet, maybe. It was big. It was tall. Like, it was up to your, like, chin, right, in height. We were little. We were kids, so it's hard to remember how tall it was. But it was a giant glass cube, and it was just full of Packer memorabilia, and it had Brett Favre in the center, like, flipping the bird on an airplane. I barely remember this, Chad, but you're bringing it back. And I was going to doubt you at first. Like, I don't know if this is me, but I do remember that. And he had Brett Favre with two middle fingers up, and, yeah, it was like a... It's a shrine, it was but a it shrine, had was absolutely. it had a bunch of signed footballs yeah. and like it, it had the title. It had like title it. towels, like the original stuff. Like, see, we grew up when the Packers exploded in what is now the culture of that sport. Yeah, I had Don Mikowski's poster on my wall. So, like before Brent Favre, you know, we were not good. <laughs> like, no, I remember the that Magic Man sucked, but. I had his poster, and I was a Packers fan, and my dad wouldn't let me be any other way. You know, like, I liked the Bills, and I had a lot of Bills cards in 95. And They went to the Super Bowl when we were kids, too. Four times, and they lost every time. But <laughs> yeah. I was a Bills fan, and I had the coat, this pullover starter jacket, you know, like, that was my team. Uh, okay, I remember that. Yeah. You know. <laughs> I remember that, the little buffalo. Yeah, well, yeah. Those are cool. You had, a like, a half-zip half, half starter? Yeah, half-zip yeah, starter. Yeah, I remember that. Getting, getting back to, like, things. <laughs> if, if you have those starter jackets from those times and you kept them in good condition. I never owned one. They're fucking worth good money, dude. I got a Blackhawks jersey. Well. I don't know, but I like it. I'm not jer- going to get yeah, rid of jerseys it. jerseys are hard, too. But it's that niche thing I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like, right now, it's about, you know, the current players that are older which is really strange. Like, if you've got a Lawrence Taylor rookie card, right? You would think. I don't know all these guys, but Lawrence okay. Taylor played when we were kids. He was like the linebacker from New York Giants. That was crazy. And yeah, he was crazy good. Anyways, his rookie cards worth nothing. You know what I mean? Okay. Should be worth a lot. But if you have somebody that's new, that's really good right now, Aaron Rodgers, or you know somebody oh, that's like I a see. Hall of Famer that's playing right now, and you have their rookie card, it's worth tons of money. So like. It's just niche. It's all about the years you have within cards. You know that's already a niche market. You're talking about making money off paper cardboard. You know, yeah. And then you're talking about wait. You have to further niche it down to the years and the specific sports. You know, they have cards and everything. Yeah, and it's it's weird because it's just the culture of card collecting that places the value that it's just an illusion because all, this piece of cardboard is no more valuable than this piece of cardboard. They will both burn at the exact same rate. <laughs> right. Worth literally. Yeah. It, it's, and it's all, it's all like perceived, you know, it's, it, that, that's, what's kind of interesting. Perceived value, absolutely. Yeah. But it's the same thing that we do with money, like a hundred dollar bill and a $1 bill. Like now you're thinking they're the fucking same it's fucking thing fucking paper yeah. it's not the gold that it represents anymore brother they're printing too much of that shit you know? yeah and i heard they're even making it digital now where it's going to compete with the digital cryptos like they're making the dollar gonna be i don't know if you're gonna be able to mine it like crypto because that's obviously the no, that's what the Fed does already. They just <laughs> right. mint. Like they it, just right? mint coins. Right. So this coin is worth a trillion dollars. <laughs> and that's that's them <laughs> mining it basically. Like, ah, I'm right. so confused why they collect taxes though. Like, why do they collect taxes when they just make money whenever they want? Because they have to take away capital from the citizens. You know, like we have to be divided from some of our our earnings so that they can distribute that to. 
like the whole process of yeah. Do you see what me, I mean? Like it's yeah, all dude, it's, it's all fake now, fuck, dude. <laughs> but you know, taxes are should be represented by you know spending. Obviously, yeah, it's not. <laughs> yeah, there's so much. You know, like people yeah. don't people do realize these days, but they didn't realize ten years ago that our defense budget was like billions, billion, like. You know, ninety percent of United States spending goes to our military. You know what I mean? Like, it's crazy the amount of money that goes into the the militaries around the world. You know, like oh yeah, yeah. We could end our homeless populate or problem yeah. like immediately if we would just you know take a break on the <laughs> just, just take a break on the military <laughs> stuff. Do we live here in Wisconsin and we have the interstate goes north and south, Highway ninety. And I see brand new fucking military trucks on that interstate every week. Not every day, but probably like once every three days. Yeah. Once every, yeah. Every I, I, week I, I see. Drive, I drive for Amazon, obviously. And when I, to just like a couple of weeks ago, I pulled up on a train track and I was watching some graffiti. I like to check that stuff out. Yeah. And all of a sudden, it just stopped with rail cars and it just started with these they look like Humvees, but they were just military trucks, obviously bulletproofed, you know, with the yeah. snorkels on them. And it went for like, like 20 minutes, man. And they were probably all like at least a hundred thousand dollar vehicles. You yeah. Know? I know. I stopped counting after literally like 46 cars of three cars on each, on Holy each shit. Car. What do we need all these war machines for? Dude, that's a lot of money, bro. And I was just counting. I was like, let me get one. Like, just slide one off the <laughs> truck for me. And let me drive that for the rest of my life because it would never break down. Yeah. You know? like, man. It's and nice they're going, that they're, I, like, I don't know. They're, they're made here, right here in Wisconsin. So that's kind of nice. Yeah, like, at least the money about. is here. I was wondering why they were here. They're, they're made in Oshkosh. I was in like Janesville. They've got to be made in Janesville too. It's well, that's where the GM plant used to be. I don't know. I think they're still make. They have to be. That's, that's where they where used to make S- GM made SUVs, and then we had the gas thing. And wherever I was, it was like Evansville, Edgerton, Janesville. They were driving them trucks, and I was like, "Holy fuck, that's a lot of money." It's all I could think about because they were all brand new, not a scratch on any of them. And they were obviously going. I, I kept thinking about like, so like maybe National Guard. So I was like, damn, it's like a lot of fucking money for National Guard troops, you know? Like, it's probably going overseas, man. It's somewhere mm-hmm. of a conflict zone, you know, where they're actually going to use them, and then they'll come back for, Nate. I don't know, like, they obviously have a lifespan, but we're still dumping hundreds of billions of dollars on, you know, these trucks. Unless they're gonna, they want to use them here. <laughs> hey, they're fucking ready, you know uh, that. Dude, the threats coming out of the White House are serious, man. Yeah, man. They, okay. Right now, the deadliest, according to Joe Biden, the deadliest problem, deadliest problem in America is white supremacy. I would like to know who the leaders of these white supremacist groups are and what they're advocating for. I haven't heard from anybody that speaks out in that kind of way. Okay, so when you would say it to me, I would think that it's more of a general problem than a direct problem. I don't think that the direct organizations are uh national security interests but i think that the directives that have been set in place for 30 years have affected our culture so much sure the people ended our brainwash per se like even me and you as we sit here i can think about when i was a kid and being from such a hippie liberal family still feeling the pull of racism like still feeling the fact that my dad would bring 
some people in and they would like, you know, make these remarks. And I'd be like, wow, you know, that's not how we think, but just these regular normal people that were good people, you know, like, yeah, it's just, it plagued our society for too long. It's going to take some time to purge it from the minds of the masses. You know, it's not easy. Uh, when it comes to like cultural issues, a lot of times I side, I just side with George Carlin on most things. <laughs> that's going to get you in trouble. Uh, sure. But, uh, Comedians are always good to side with, though, because you can fall back. Yeah, but but on the other hand, I always like fall back on like what was my initial impression about this topic as a child, and it's usually like, well, that sounds fucked up, and I don't agree with that. Yeah. Like, I mean, even as a kid, like the idea that people were somehow like more or less based on what color they are—that is so fucking stupid. <laughs> like that's just that didn't even make sense to me as a as a child like it never did in i don't know like okay when bill clinton uh enacted the three strikes rule i was probably like 11 or 12 years old and i remember my dad i was in the driveway and my dad was telling me about it like if you commit three felonies then you go to jail for the rest of your life yeah. i remember just thinking that's awful why would they do that why would our why would they do that to people like that was my thought as a kid when I heard that. And that's still how I feel like, um, with religion, this is God. I'm like initial reaction as a kid. Okay. Well then who invented God? (laughs) Like, like, you know, so yeah. And that's the same today. So when I was a kid, um, I was a pretty free mind. Like I didn't try to develop too many serious thoughts, but I did have a firm grasp of like treating people equal, you know, like I think we were the first generation that was really raised to be able to give people a fair shot, man. I don't think that in the seventies or in the sixties people were able to give people a fair shot. We were still too close to segregation and people's grandparents were still too, entrenched in lives you know our grandparents are fucking dead or really old and our parents Mm -hmm. are starting to get really old or dead we both have fathers who are not here so like those generations have passed and the the new generations are obviously a lot more liberal and care about people more that's why the all these things are happening but those old traditions die hard like they always say Mm-hmm. That's what I've, I truly I've, believe. You know what, though? My grandparents are still alive. Grandma's, yeah. grandma's birthday was yesterday, the 4th oh, of July. How old is she? Uh, I want to say she's like 85, 86. Yeah, my grandma died at 89, man. Yeah. Old lady, Norwegian, strong. Grandpa's still still alive, too, but he's pretty. he's got dementia pretty bad. Yeah. Um, but he got brand new hearing aids, so now he <laughs> hears everything like awesome. <laughs> But he's just, but he's still, That's amazing. Just, but I now he's that. just like funnier. Cause, I bet, dude. Because now he's like a part that. of everything. I love that. That's like when, you know, people gain their vision back or, you know, like when they get those senses, they're like so happy and thankful. They just want to talk and be happy. You know? Yeah. My grandma was deaf. So when she would get to see people, she'd just be super happy. Yeah. And gosh, with my grandma as an individual, I feel like she has really turned the corner, um, specifically if we're going to talk about racism like as somebody from her generation and kind of growing up and knowing how especially like how my grandpa felt um which like i just yeah you can you can't you know agree with but he's all he's you can't quantify what he dealt with yeah i know but then at the same time like i said my grandma today like 
Yeah, definitely. Like, I don't know. She likes black people a lot. I'll tell you that. I don't know else how to say it. I don't yeah, know else like, to say it. It's the truth. It's either that. So, yeah, I mean, she likes black people. That's great. I think. I don't know. I think it's fair to say. Like, yeah. it's not a horrible thing anymore. Like, I like black people. I enjoy their music. I enjoy their culture. Yeah. I try not to appropriate it too much. Like, I try not to. Like, when I was younger, I used to, like, you know, I had some gold teeth. and Oh, yeah. You had, had the grill, man. I, I kind of, like, dressed. The flat a the little flat more, brim. The flat brim. I still have flat brim hats. And I still have, like, my own yeah, style. But something. I think at some point I was appropriating the culture. Or, I don't know if that's the right word, but I was, you know, seeing a lot of African-Americans do rap. And I liked that a lot. So I was just wearing the clothes and. I don't think it's a bad thing. No. I just think that that's a phase that I went through, and I think that... It was an avatar that you played, which is fine. Like, yeah. I played the Marine, I played the Carpenter, exactly. I played the Podcaster, yeah, yeah. you know, like, I played Dad. There's yeah, this, I can, I, I can I, remember a distinct part avatars. of my life when I was listening to, like, Tupac and being in the mirror with, like, you know, my hat sideways, and really, like, playing this character and thinking that was who I was going to be. <laughs> Which is silly, like, to think about back, like, literally putting my hat sideways. And I can remember being at O'Brien Court, which makes me, like, 13 or 14 years old, like a teenager, and listening to Pac and being, like, you know, dancing in the mirror and thinking I'm just this tough little kid. No, it wasn't me. <laughs> but I had fun, you know? Like, I love... That's okay, man. You're yeah. exploring your identity is That's what you're right. doing. I'm glad that I could do that and be, like free to do that you know i think that before our time like in the 60s and 70s that would have been very oh dude i used to stand in front of the mirror with my nunchucks yeah <laughs> and uh with my shirt off and like be badass so same thing <laughs> yeah so like those are early years like those you know years when you're trying to figure out like you know who you're gonna be or whatever i think we went through a lot of phases in life i was a skater i was a you know a little ghetto kid and then i was you know a pothead and that one kind of stuck for a long time but you know now i think i'm like a family man and you know nah, a hard I just, worker you're you know? andy man and that's what i um that's what i've been really kind of looking at a lot lately is how we divide and and like organize our world by labeling shit with nouns like you know skater or you know pothead you know whatever whatever it is but right now i just want to go with first names i think that's so much easier then we don't got to worry about pronouns we don't got to worry about uh you know white black you know hispanic stop putting shit in box people in boxes because we're all individuals like despite like some weird commonalities we have but based on like what geographical location our ancestors come from right like we're we're all individuals i learned this when i worked at the pawn shop like because i met every type of person every That'll type of color and i was 19 when i worked there and i realized real quick there is an asshole of every color and every race absolutely and then so there's the opposite. You know what I mean? There's great people of every color and every race. And so, yeah, having that experience um, really, you know, really so opened my eye. I'll take that eye. even a step further. There's good in all people, man. Oh, yeah, like, definitely. I, uh, I've had the fortunate 
pleasure of being like a friend to many. Like I don't really give a fuck who you are. I'll hang out with you. We'll shoot it up, drink. I used to be a big drinker and a big partier and I think I, we all I, did. I think we, we all, all did. We all did. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think you were right there with me. <laughs> specifically, you are one of the very few who can sit here with me and be like, I did it pretty big, and we were pretty young, and I met a lot of people, and we yeah. probably overdid it a bit, but I cherish those times more than anything. You know, like I want to say that those crucial times of me getting drunk with my friends and going downtown to Madison and meeting all these new people. And those are very interesting. Like those are why I am the way I am, you Mm -hmm. know, like being able to still meet people and talk to, you know, random people and being able to strike up conversation with anybody. Like that's very, those times we had when we were kids, those are instrumental in why we're able to do the things we are now. You know, that's why I was able to meet my wife. That's why I'm able to teach my child to go like up in the playground and be like, do you want to play? Like that's because, you know, some kids are very scared. I can see it. You know, they don't want to walk around. It's because their parents are scared. You know, like I'm teaching them like, go, go talk to that girl, go, you know, walk up to that boy and ask him if you can play with him, you know, like, so patterns and like yeah dude that's 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 awesome it is current of time yeah like that's something i've always known about you and i know we've you've kind of mentioned a few times is that growing up like you kind of have a like most people have like a small circle of friends and whereas you had a small circle of friends but then multiplied it and so you were a part of like six or seven different small groups of friends yeah and you were accepted by everybody and it was like everybody knew that you were this vagrant friend that like but you were always there for everybody i don't know man so i still have friends that are not you know for instance you like you're just not in the same circle as anybody that i know anymore maybe like neil and tim to a certain extent yeah there's very, and then, you know, I have, so like, I would consider you like one of my friends who, you know, went to war and dealt with some pretty sure serious shit. You know what I'm saying? I have a couple other friends that did that too. And I take their opinions so much more seriously because they went through some serious shit. Like most of my friends don't know what it means to be like somewhere that's different. Like I traveled the world. I went to Argentina, I went to Spain, I went to Costa Rica, and I went to Jamaica. Those are like the four places that I say that I've traveled. There's, I've traveled all over the States, too. And some of that stuff was worse than the things I've seen in different countries. But sure. Like, I stayed on the hill in Jamaica. Um, I was fortunate enough to be like pretty much taken care of by some people on the hill that my buddy knows. And we go to Jamaica, it's like a, you know... We don't stay at the resorts. We drive yeah. about 25 minutes outside of Montego Bay and drive up a hill, and then our house is on top of the hill. Where, mm-hmm. And they treat us like kings, man. They have a big party for us, and all these people come on the train track. How long were you there? Like three weeks, dude. Okay, yeah. I spent a month in Jamaica in Port okay. Royal. So we were in Montego Bay on the hill, and I want to get the, the hill name right. Um, I don't know. Fuck it. That's uh, but it was so magical, dude. Like, yeah. I've never seen anything like it in my life. And I feel bad for people that go to Jamaica and stay in the resort. I'll just put it that way. Like, you don't get to see yeah, I know. anything. Like, we went to some of the 
the pirate ports where they have the cannons and that's where i stayed in port royal port royal is that in kingston harbor is that where you went no we no. went the other way so oh okay there's another harbor that yeah has cannons and stuff there was a lot they're of all over the island right so yeah we went the other way towards negril so oh okay montego bay if you go one way it's towards kingston if you go the other way it's towards negril right yep so we went towards negril but and we stayed there for a couple of days too which is beautiful went to doctor's cove and but we i stayed with you know probably 10 very rugged jamaicans there were <laughs> nobody to play with man like they and they made it very known that we were safe you know we went to i mean i could tell you the stories i don't care like we went to a strip club called anchovies nice that's what the strip club that's uh that's was. A, that's was a, called anchovies that is a interested you got some hot coffee there dude it was in the jungle of jamaica like it wasn't on it wasn't in montego bay it wasn't in on a highway you had to drive up the mountain back roads back roads side roads side roads so we were probably and i'll say we were probably the only white people there that month you know what i mean like it was a straight <laughs> local strip club but the guys that we were with, everybody knew them, and we were very safe. Nuts. It is the most insane insane things I've ever done. And, you know, I'll take them with me, and I'll tell my son about them. And, like, my dad told me. My dad had crazy stuff he did in Vietnam. And I'm just glad I did a lot of things, you know. Like, those things shape you, you know. That's, man, I want to go to Jamaica with you so bad now. Dude, oh, it's not even, I can't even think about doing those things that I did, you know? Like, we just got so, so fucked up and just lost I mean, track of time. We, we could, were there we for could, days, bro. We could just like, go on fishing. The hill. Well, you could, man. And it would be fun, but you would miss <laughs> yeah. the reason that that place is there. Yeah. That's what I feel like. We went to Moobs, which was a giant um, strip club in on the grill no it was giant strip club in montego bay and very dangerous place um not something you want to be at like it's all jamaican people you don't want to go there if you don't yeah know somebody yeah sure basically had bodyguards the whole time that makes sense yeah i feel like everybody knows those guys and oh those guys brought these two guys who cares like they're with them yeah that makes total sense just sketchy all the way around though like we have to stay with them i know what you mean because i've been in kingston and like you don't go in kingston at night if you're a white guy that's for sure and they call if you're white they call you jake <laughs> do, they, do you remember Dude, that they call you jake we were no they didn't call us anything hey, nobody jake. would even hey, talk jake. to us bro oh it really was literally like these jamaican men that we were with were like bodyguards like they were i know the gang that they were with they were with the sparta gang and dude's name in the gang was xerxes like that's what these cats <laughs> called him they were like zerk zerk and they, <laughs> it was the great and they were sparta gang it was just nuts man that's crazy man nuts that's so insane I've done some crazy things, Chad. Like, Give me I've, another one. Okay, so we, <laughs> me and my buddy were in Fort Lauderdale in his 2005, no, this is a, this is a truck. He's on a truck on like really big rims and this giant orange truck. And we were partying at the strip club all night and we were like, let's go down, you know, let's go party somewhere else. And he took me to the worst neighborhood of Miami. 
And we went to a club, and he was like, we're just going to go here. And it was the most insane night I've ever had in my life. We'll just say that. I can't tell you too many details because this is a good podcast. But <laughs> keeping it, keeping it, you know, PG-13 rated, we just did a lot of things. And it was like a long couple days. But don't go down there. It was Tamron Avenue in West Palm Beach. If any of you said, don't go down there, don't go down there, bro. <laughs> it is very dangerous, dude. Like murders happen all the time. It's one of those places like the South side of Chicago. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, just don't go there. It's not your place. You know what I mean? Like very, you know, we were rich white kids, bro, with gold chains on and just so close to living on the edge, you know, just the edge of an edge, you know, <laughs> I had a good time, man, and I always contribute being safe to my dad. Like, be respectful, you know, always say, you know, please and thank you, even to the yeah. most horrible of people, you know, give them respect, and they'll give you respect back. Yeah, man, I can't, like, have you ever been in a lot of, like, physical altercations? Have you been in a bunch no. of fights? No, not a ton. I mean, more than probably most people. Really? Just because I'm I've just probably been in like think. 10 fights, probably fist fights. That's probably more than most people. Really? Yeah. You seem so diplomatic, I'd though. Be, I'd be, well, yeah, diplomatic. It's probably, but probably alcohol. Alcohol infused, for sure. But there was a couple where I, I'm a big guy, you know, like I had to defend my friends, you know, like I had a couple groups of younger friends, like, you know, like I had all these groups of friends, you know. Yeah. And some of them were, like, a little bit younger, like, three or four years younger than me. And they would have problems, you know, on the street. And I was, like, an east sider. Like, I didn't let people mess with my friends. Like, I would go deal with business. I remember, like, more than once where I'd, like, call me, be like, Andy, this dude's, you know, stole my money, da 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 And I'd go over there and, like, shake somebody down, which is, like, now it really sounds ridiculous, Chad. But I fucking swear to you, like... I remember beating this kid and taking all his mother of this kid that I'm beating up is telling me to beat him up because he shouldn't be stealing from these kids on the block. And we're going, I beat him up and we're going through his pockets, taking all this stuff out. Yeah. You tell somebody a story like that now and you're like, dude, you were like an enforcer. Like you were like the street, you know? And I'm like, no dude, like we were just kids. You know? I'm just but, a friend and I'm a little bigger. So I could, yeah. so like I felt you felt a responsibility because of your size. Yes, but now that you, when you look back on it, you're like, dude, that was like almost movie esque. You know, they were like, oh, let's call Andy, we'll get him down here. No, like, but maybe you felt like that was your like how you contribute to the friendship. I definitely felt a responsibility to those kids. Like I brought them up. You know, I taught them how to do the game. You know, like we went through a little bit of things together. The East Side was kind of dirty, man. We did a lot of crazy shit over here. You know, and I taught them a little bit of that crazy shit. And then when they took it out. I started flexing it, you know, they had some problems with people. I felt the responsibility to go over there and show them what they're going to have to do, you know, in the future. If somebody tries to take your money, you know what I mean? Like, don't <laughs> let these kids punk you, dude. Like, go take your money back. I don't care who they are. Like, yeah. I felt the responsibility to that because never let people walk on you. I don't care if it's. You can. Oh, I don't know, man. I can feel it. Like, if this is if this situation that I'm I'm in. I don't know. That's why the Facebook marketplace is nice. Because yeah. you can look at the person before you meet Absolutely, them. Absolutely. <laughs> I always but tell like my you, wife to do that. Like, you make sure you look at them. They better have a real profile. Like, go back a little bit. Make sure they got, like, do some investigation before you just meet somebody to buy a $100 piece of jewelry. You know, they're going to rob you, you know? like Yeah. You can feel it, though. I don't know. I, I don't. I've, but that didn't stop me. Today, it stops me. Like, when I feel like, oh, this ain't right, then I just won't do it. Like, I'll switch switch it up. So you learned that over time. Yeah. Well, I've 
I've intentionally focused on it too. So like tried to hone it, if that makes sense. Whereas in the past, I would just, I would feel it and then be like, ah, ah, it's not what I want. (laughs) Don't learn that. That's not what I want. My brain, don't learn that. Yeah. It's not pertinent to me. It did take me, uh, a while to realize that like how fucked up my brain is and that your brain's like a tool, you know, like your thumb, like, and you don't expect your thumb to like see things and project light, you know, like why do you expect your brain to like organize the entire world around you? So I talked to my therapist about that. (laughs) I think it has a part to do with cycles in life, right? This is super important to me as a person started to get super serious, but no go. This is super important to me. Like, Cycles in life, and you can only know this stuff if you look it up because it's not all condensed into like one certain area. Like, they're not just going to tell you there's a whole bunch of cycles in life, like zero through four, you learn your to walk and you learn your first words, and zero to or four to eight, you learn your first social skills, and eight to 15, you learn, but then it even regresses. And from 12 to 18, you're there's different cycles built into your life, not just within the number, right. They're all over the place, dude. 21. You can think about it in your own life because it's not always the same age for everybody, right? But mine are like, I got stuck at these levels, right? Like mine was like seven years old, 14 and 15. I can remember a big jump, 18, 21, 22, 24, 28. I got stuck at forever. I was 28 for like 10 years of my life. Like 35 is when the next one started for me. And I had a kid and whatever but now i'm coming to another cycle in my life i don't know if it's because see i call i just call them timeline jumps yeah yeah and however you look at them yeah they're honest like if you can look back on your own life and find those kind of patterns you can maybe dictate where your next pattern might come to you know yeah and you can also intentionally make the jump absolutely um that's where your like power of like your free will or people think like when you speak things into fruition, talking about the things that you want, that's what it's all relative to like the paths you lead in life and the timeline, like the age cycles that happen. And what's insane about all this is it's now being backed up by science. Absolutely. hundred percent. And that's what I love. And I think that's what I really like about doing this podcast is like, because I get, the physical real world i understand a lot of bro science physics and quantum physics and you know astrology all that crap and so i get the 3d world but there's an overlap here with the metaphysical world that we all fucking know about but it's just like it just seems like now we're all starting to talk about it the language is is or the the vocabulary is a part of the language now where we all say energy all the fucking time when we're not talking about electricity yeah and yeah like the negative positive energy that's a great split into this have you read this this is the dahamapada and it's a somebody gave this to me when i was like uh living on north street i didn't have anything i was like uh dad was still paying my rent I lived in a really, really shitty little house, and my neighbor owned a business, and he was really successful, and he was a masseuse, and he was like, I, I, he was like Andy. I smoked weed at your house over there. Yeah, yeah, it was a cool place. Dude. Yeah, like, I, we had a lot of good times there, <laughs> but it was very like, it was very rundown. 
Yeah. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on just that house and have guests, and but it's okay. But this is called the Dhammapada, and it's a Buddhist book. And like, I've always I've always checked it out when I was in like it's called the Path to Truth, the Path of Truth, excuse me. And it's been it's been translated probably a thousand times, so it's probably not exactly accurate as to what it is. But it's just like small, like little paragraphs, and like I figure I'll read one. Why not? Fuck it, right? So yeah, do it. It's in different chapters, right? So I kind of look for a chapter of like what I'm going through, and I have not even looked at this, so I'm just going to take like ten seconds to look. Yeah, that's what I do with some of my books like that. So, um, um, what are we talking about? Let's go with mindfulness, which is the second chapter. There's mindfulness. Or it's called twins, mindfulness, and mind. So, we'll just go to mindfulness and we will read one and it will be anyone uh seven is my favorite number don't lose yourself in negligence don't lose yourself in sensuality for it is the mindful and the meditative man who will experience supreme happiness simple enough super simple right and they don't have like they don't have different things they don't have anything to do with each other each one will be except for the fact that they're They're mystic quotes of the day it's like confucius would say you know like that's kind of thing but they're just they've helped me man like i would recommend i would recommend anybody that could you know if they have problems i'll put i'll put a link in the show notes yeah nice very spiritual type of thing i brought it because you're um dude my wife is gonna keep calling me i apologize that's all right. We're going to take a break. All right, let's take a break. Do you observe the world? I know you observe the world differently than everybody. Than I, I call them NPCs, non-player characters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know a few. Yeah, yeah. They're nice people. <laughs> yeah, um, dude. Uh, but I could see it in your eyes. You're not the only one. Like, But I can look in people's eyes and I'm like, oh, they're not an NPC. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I'm very unique for sure. I, w- I always like, so my dad was a war veteran. But he was a medic, so he saved a lot of people's lives. And I try to always equate, like, we didn't, we had a war. You obviously went to it, but my generation was kind of, we didn't have, like, World War II or Vietnam. Like, coronavirus killed more people than, you know, anything in my lifetime. You know what I mean? Like, okay. So, like, I always thought I was, like, a general without a war. You know what I mean? We did, my dad got drafted, so he didn't, had no choice, you know? Like, but he was a general when he was there, you know? He wasn't a general, but he commanded tons of respect. Like, okay, he came, like, he was a medic, and he had two tours, and the first tour he did, he got two Purple Hearts and a Brown Star. and like Your dad was a life. badass vet. Dude, and then the second tour, he was in the rear area in Vietnam and he set up like his own tent and made tons of money doing nefarious things in Vietnam. Like we don't really have, to I know that it. your dad was, I had, had just, experienced more drugs than like we probably ever will in Vietnam. Uh, yeah. Just in <laughs> Vietnam probably. But like he told me some stories that, you know, will be for another, another, another episode, maybe another episode or form of medium. I might have to write a book one day about, you know, the things my dad told me and, Vietnam was a very strange place for a lot of people. Like nobody really realizes what went on there. Like it's just very, he came back anyways and had a lot of money and he like, he like skipped town in Vietnam. He like took a passenger flight back to Hawaii and then took another, no, took an army flight to Hawaii and then a passenger flight to California and then hitchhiked from California to Wisconsin. And then when he got to Wisconsin, he was expecting to have to go to jail 
because he went AWOL from Vietnam and yeah. they just served him his release papers. <laughs> so like my dad thought he was going to prison, you know, like, Oh wow. Very strange time for, but then, he, then he went to Columbia with one of his best friends. Like wow. he was the mayor of Columbia's son, a, ma- a mayor of, uh, uh, I want to say Bogota. So like a very, in 1974, these places were supremely crazy and my dad had this inn down there and i often think of my dad as this kind of you know character from the movie blow like a johnny depp type of character who like did things he was like that dude my dad there's a point of my dad's life where he just didn't tell me any stories and i've heard stories from different people about like what happened and the little seventies, because it's like my dad came home from Vietnam, and then he didn't have me till eighty two, and get married until eighty two. So there's this big gap in my dad's life where he did it's like a told, decade, yeah, yeah. And he was in Colombia, and he was hitchhiked all over the United States, and did all this crazy shit. So, like that brings me back to the point of like all those stories made me try to reach out to feel life more. Like, when you come from somebody who is so entrenched in life, you know? Lots of people let life pass them by, and they just do things, and I kind of feel like they let their life, you know, go, and it doesn't matter, you know? Like, you're just an NPC, you're just a non-player character, and you're just there, like... But I've never felt like that. Like, I've always felt like, you know, this life is mine, I will take it, you know? Like, there's things out there that you can go and have if you want them, you know? Like, be happy, chase that happiness you know i've always buckled every shoe on that like just be happy smile wake up smile smoke a little do whatever you got to do drink a (laughs) cup of coffee like smile go out meet some people talk to people you don't know say hi to old people you know help people with doors like dude those things are so important because that next person that you open a door for might be you know the next person in your life that might, you know, give you the next opportunity. Like truly opening doors can just be opening doors, you know, like, <laughs> it's honestly that, you know, like that's awesome, man. That's what I feel. So, your dad was a, was a cab driver, right? Yeah. So after I was born, maybe like sometime after I was born, my dad became a cab driver and he would take his cab. He had a beautiful Buick park Avenue f- or Buick, something very nice, cab car and he used to bring it home every day yeah i remember it in your he, driveway he would give me a ride to school in the cab every day before he went to work and pick me up in the cab every day and that was kind of i never had to take the bus or that's anything. nice man yeah. i never thought of that like how if your parent drives for a living they could just give you a ride wherever you need yeah, to go yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very nice he didn't make a ton of money but it was it was enough to raise three kids i guess which to me now it's so crazy to think that you could you know it's expensive to raise children these days like i've spent literally tens of thousands of dollars on my five-year-old son you know like they didn't have that back then like they were spending you know small amounts of money on kids that just to get them through like i wore all hand-me-downs and i didn't get a fucking power wheel and i didn't get to go on vacations when i was a kid it was pretty hard you know like we scraped by for a lot of years and my later in my life, my dad got some inheritance. So life changed for me, but I learned when very young that you had to grind, man. Like we lived in a two bedroom house with three kids and it was a hard life. Like I remember being hard, but I remember climbing trees and, you know, doing things that 
kids that don't have to do do like i remember like building dirt piles and like yeah. climbing fences and shit like kids Riding don't have to bikes. do that if they have a fucking ipad you know they like yeah. kids literally rides a oh, fucking dude. ipad you know? uh, okay like, this is one of the funniest moments that i remember i i feel like it was you definitely like we were riding bikes we were over on like at the end of mary turn by openwood and like there's a sidewalk that goes between the houses down there and we were riding bikes and you came up like we hadn't planned on meeting you just saw us and you came over and you were flying on your bike (laughs) and you did this like sideways skid stop which was awesome but then as soon as you stopped you tipped over the other way and just fucking ate it. And, and and, like sure. But you just like did it right in front of us. Like we stopped and just watched you go plop. And there was a big I was like, too. what's up, Andy? Very well. Very well could have been. I mean, we, uh, I remember having the sweetest like GT mountain bike that was like, you know, we did it when we were kids, man. We really did. And, Kids are missing that shit, dude. The they dirt are. track in the woods and stuff. Dude, the one up on Cottage Grove Road where the yep. police station is, dude. I had so many hours up there just trying to get over a jump. It's not like I could even ride the course, but it was so much fun trying. Sure. Know? Like, we had a lot of fun. And those were dangerous times. I didn't wear a helmet. I still pads. don't. Well, right, but <laughs> if you're on a track like that now. I do. I will go where? with the kids. Uh, there's one in Sock uh, right, na- right along the river, you know? Yeah. Yeah, there's a whole woods track ju- that's like so that. It's one. not like, it's and I not take the kids on it by anybody. No, dude, see that's something I thought was it's, lost to time. No, I'll take you. Um, just, eventually, I gotta, somebody's going to get see hurt my there. BMX bike. It's ridiculous. Somebody's going to get hurt there, and then somebody's going to sue the owner of the land. That's what happened to the place on Fair Oaks, right by the. Oh no, this is all public property, and it just goes through the woods along the. And oh. people just keep building jumps, huh? Yeah, and there's actually like wooden structures in there too. That's cool, man. Yeah, and it's like the paths to get. It's way bigger than the stuff we did as a kid. There's bridges you go across rivers and stuff like, and then there's a beach like you can get to the back and then go take your shoes off and go in the water. It's right on the river. Address me from that because I want to go. Oh man, it's and there's a splash pad at the park right there where it starts. Okay, so that's a right. (laughs) Got a bike. I just want to take them out there to show them what. Even we if used you don't do, get man. on the dirt track, like there's plenty of sidewalk path too to ride. That's definitely a big part of my childhood. Was like because there was one on Fair Oaks, which is right behind my house before I moved when we were very young, and I remember meeting some older kids there. I had to take a little bridge that was over a little river, and then drive around the block, and it was farther than my parents probably would ever let me go. Yep, we always. But that dirt track was farther than man. I was supposed to go, and oh, I went yeah. there all the time for sure absolutely but i just remember like kids getting thrashed dude like there was a tabletop jump with like a three-foot dip in the middle and just people getting thrashed and like we're so young man i just don't know how that place ever existed. dude it's funny like now like your parent you would send your kid out at least with a cell phone right <laughs> yeah right and we had nothing they our parents we just were. depended on our stomach to bring us back like, they'll get hungry. <laughs> it's like a dog. He knows his way home. He knows worry. his way home. He'll get hungry. Yeah. Like, and that's really what it is. Just be home for dinner. Yeah, I'll be hungry, you know? I don't know, man. I'm a parent now, and I'm fucking scared for that kind of shit. And I think that it was just because they didn't have the ability. Like, I think all parents inherently want to know where their child is if they can, right? Yeah, but I mean, like, how many kids are having sleepovers these days? Not like when we were a kid. You're right. 
the shit is very different, especially with the pandemic. But pre-pandemic, I think that even even sleepovers is yeah. That's I, well, honestly, I don't want to watch your fucking kid. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of kids are shitty, man. I can't believe how many kids I've had to check. My kid is only five, and these girls at the park a couple weeks ago were like, we're in the girls' club, and we don't like little boys. You better get away from us. And I was like, Ivan came over all crying. I was like, what's wrong? He's like, those girls just yelled at me. I was like, them girls are spicy. I was like, like, in life, you're going to have to deal with spicy girls, man. That's just what happens. He's like, like, so I can't hang out with them? I was like, just go hang close to them, and they'll keep talking, and they'll keep talking, but eventually, they might be your friend. But that's how girls are. You just gonna have to learn. And he's just like <laughs> sucking it in. He's just staring at me, staring. I'm like spicy. He's like those girls are spicy. I'm like yo. Oh man, it's so fun to have a five year old man. It is unbelievable joy. Dude, you're an amazing dad. Dude, I feel it. Like I feel honored to be able to raise a sibling or to huh. be able to raise a son. Like it's so. Like I think if I had a daughter. My life would be completely different. I might be an alcoholic by now, but like because because he looks up to me so much as a man, like he's like, "Daddy, we're strong." I'm like, "That's right," you know, like strong men. You know, I have to do that, and I'm like, "Okay, just keep being strong," and then he'll be strong. You know? Okay, yeah, no, and that's willpower cool. is what you want to give them. You know, like that's what I feel is my most valuable asset is the fact that. My willpower is super strong. I've always said that. Like, you can't make me do anything if I don't want to. That's true. That is I, very you know, true. So, yeah, Andy been, will just, you call him on the phone, hey, let's do this. There's no convincing him if he's made his mind up. And I am a master of, like, convincing people to do shit that, the, that I want them to do. Not that it's, like, nefarious in any way, but, yeah. like, yeah, you, I yeah, know. I know it's not worth my time to try and get you to do something that's not going to work. And even more so now with my wife, I like I prioritize her first, right? Yeah, that shit gets in the way so hard because like I'm always like, no, I can't. Just got to be here with my wife and do nothing. <laughs> like it just makes me crazy because I have customed my will to be a family man. You know, it's very strange. It's an avatar. Yeah, yeah, and it's like any kind of thing that you identify with, you'll suffer from, and you gotta like accept the fact that like taking on the identity of a father like anytime your kid gets hurt or is sad like you're gonna suffer and um i don't know i extrapolate that out to kind of everything else like being a podcast host if i identify with that in some form or way i'm gonna suffer if somebody's like hey dude i listened to episode 21 with andy and it was fucking awful then i'm gonna feel bad yeah right because i identify like yeah right so this is your will, so you want to make sure that you're... I'm just conscious of what I want to identify with. Uh, yeah. Identifying with a, as a turkey hunter is fucking brutal. <laughs> yeah, I've never hunted. I've always thought... I don't know. We don't have to go down that road, but no, I was just... Uh, we live in Wisconsin, dude. Like, identifying as a hunter is, like, pretty like prevalent. Like, they talk about hunting in, like, Texas and things like that. Mm-hmm. It's just as big here. Oh, yeah, it always has been. Yeah. But, um, man, Andy, I am so happy that I am your friend. And I am as well, Chad. We've been friends for a long time. We've been dude. through Since fourth grade. more than most, dude. Since fourth grade. I'm going to count it. Since fourth grade. Yeah, fourth grade, definitely. All right. So you beat Mike. <laughs> Mike was fifth grade. Oh, yeah? Yeah. All right. Even though you weren't in my class. No. It's oh. good to know you, man. I'm glad that I reconnected with you 
when I came by here a f- month ago or something. And yeah, you dropped off uh, things, uh, right? one of my, my sloth shirts. So I'm like, I'm like, I look at the package and I'm like, Chad Gulseth. I'm like, holy shit. I'm like, no fucking way. This is my fucking old, one of my oldest friends. I'm like, I'm ringing the doorbell. Because I never usually do it. I just drop the package and go, blah, blah. And you answer the door and I'm like, wow, this blows my oh, mind. Like Andy. Like, I just fucking love to see people that I've had that connection with. Like, we've had a connection for so long, dude. Like, I feel like I could look at you and just know what you're going through because we've been on that wavelength together for a long time. Like, Well, I got some shit coming this week. Yeah. Hopefully you can get it to me. <laughs> right? It's just like, there's just like something that we all share being from our generation and our part of town and our circle of friends that I don't ever think we'll lose. I can go to a handful of friends, some that I haven't talked to in a long time, but like, you know, you, Pingree, John Lawler, Derek Ron, like those people that I just developed this like kinship with so long ago. Yeah. We, like in a second, we just hit it back up. The blue minivan, man. We didn't even bring dude, that up. We like, dude, that place in my heart is so dear. You know what I mean? Like everybody has. That. Let me but just describe it real quick. Okay. So in some- in high school, by sophomore year, we have driver's licenses. I had the Rocket for a while, which is a Honda, uh, like an '83 Honda Civic, and the whole driver's side was crushed in like a beer can. And then. Our other buddy, I don't know, that car eventually died, and then I needed to ride to high school. And the four of us, junior year, basically, year. was the the major year yeah. for the minivan. There was four of us that rode to school every single day, and yeah, like, there was a bong in the van that, like, had a holder. <laughs> Blue minivan story, so I'll give one before we... Are you going to tell the one where the door fell off? Yes. This okay. is the greatest. I told this, told this to a lot of people. It's fucking insane. Dude, dude this was an insane story. So we... LSD, par- right? Yeah, we partied a lot in high school, probably more <laughs> than most people, and we were exploring the avenues of psychedelic drugs, and we were taking hits of acid, and we were in the car, and we were in the minivan, and we were driving, and we were in one of the shadier neighborhoods in Madison. It was called Allied Drive. And uh, we were just driving, and this is the way I remember it. And Chad's probably got a different version, and and all the guys were in the van. It was a while version. ago, so I'm I don't even remember where it was. So we we were in this van for a number of years, and we were all tripping. And there was a book, a history book, underneath the seat, and we pulled it out, and it was like from freshman year, so the book had to be in there for a few years. And we lit the book on fire. And we threw it in the street. We tossed it over the air and threw it in the street in the middle of L.A. Drive. And we all watched it burn. And we were all tripping. And we were like, whoa, that's crazy. <laughs> and then, like, within a half hour, we're driving on the freaking highway or, like, a backcountry road. It was a country road is what and I the remember. the van sliding door literally just No, no, no. Engines. You had a tall drink. Yeah. Like, a, a, from a mcdonald's cup or whatever okay and you were done with it and we always opened the door and threw shit out like we were not environmentally friendly teenagers before that and so you went to go throw this cup out and when you opened the door the door just just came off the the sliding door just came off the you were like ah and i felt like i i don't know if you remember it as this but i remember feeling like we had killed the van's soul by burning that book that had been in the van those that's oh. like it's like my memory of the trip like you know everybody has like this 
trip memory of like that was the trip. Dude, that me. makes so much sense and to me now that you even say that. It's so it weird, insane. And I remember it just like that. Like we killed the van that day, and we had to duct tape the van door shut. No, what was great though is we went back to dude's dad's house. Dude's house. Oh yeah, his dad was there. We we're like, hey, the door fell off, and he was like, oh, well, here, take the other car. <laughs> Yeah, our parents. He gave us the uh, other car, and we were like, "All right." And then they, and then he went and got it fixed. Like we thought we were going to be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like we felt really bad. Yeah. We were like, "Oh my god, we broke the van door," and dude's dad was like, "Oh, no problem. Can't believe that happened." Yeah. Those yeah. Are the days, man. Oh man, what a- I have very fond memories of all of our all of our <laughs> times together, and I'm so glad to hash them back up with you. I'm honestly, though, uh, I love to relive the good, but I do, like, feel, like, remorse and, like, regret for things, but I also, like, go, I'm sorry for doing that, and then I, like, let it, I have to give myself a break, you know? I can't get hung up on the shit I did when I was a kid. Yeah, I beat myself up for not learning more. I didn't necessarily treat people bad or, like, do things to people, but I feel like there's a little bit of life unfulfilled. Like we filled our life with some pretty, not negative, but uh, immersive things that didn't allow us to kind of explore other avenues. Like I could have been a doctor maybe, but I just didn't have the time to go to school enough, you know, like just was too busy exploring life and sociality. That was my niche, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I could have been like, if they would have been like, Andy, this position's open for street philosopher where you just go talk to people all the time, I would have been perfect for that. Well, you can do that now. I can. It's called a podcast, right? But It is. Yeah, I'm a busy guy. There might be some. So am where, I, man. I know. There might be some day where you see a podcast from me. It'll yeah. be similar to this, too, you know, where I just sit down. And talk. All right. Well, I'll just, I'll just keep bringing you back until you get your own started, and then Absolutely. you'll have to have me on your show. Absolutely. There's a thousand other things that we could talk about, to be honest with you. I know, I love it, I man. Could probably sit here and talk all day. Yeah, I think I could. We'll, we'll have to do it again. Absolutely, Let's Andy. Again. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Chad. All right. Some people say we have a soul that goes on living when we are dead, but I don't believe this. And yet, I'm certain, beyond all doubt, that through certain experiences, we can develop a very fine substance in ourselves. When we die, this substance does not die at the same time, but much later.